Welcome back to your favourite podcast and show <laughs> in detail, episode four. Um, this is course one of our mixed grill, where we are, yes, you guessed it, grilling each other like that. See what we did there? Yeah. Um, about our the origins of our business. But before we get into that, um, uh, you are here today with myself, Warwick Mahaley, um, Kate Fitzgerald, and Mick Maloney. Today's episode of In Detail was made possible with the help of our friends at Streamtime, who have developed team management software designed by and for the creative and design industries. We're fans of their dedication to the death of timesheets and their epically designed user-friendly interface. Our thanks go to the Streamtime team for supporting us while we lift the cone of silence on what running a creative business is really like. Um, Howdy. Mick is in the hot seat today. He has either courageously or naively volunteered to um, subject himself to this fully unscripted interrogation into the origins of his business today. I'm harassment. Business myself. harassment. Yes. <laughs> um, in uh, the show, uh, in detail, where we take you behind the scenes of creative business. Good work getting the intro in there, Warwick. Yeah. Boom. So um, without further um, internationally classed jokes, <laughs> let's get started. <laughs> All right. What do you got? Shoot. <laughs> Ask me anything. AMA. Um, all right. So let's get some fundamentals down first. What year did you start um, Maloney Architects? We started in 2007. Uh, so we were in our 13th year, no, 14th year. Right before the GFC. Yeah, sweet timing, huh? Yeah. We were so right just... after the GFC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that was better, something better. <laughs> well played, well played, Mick. Yeah. Um, so... And in which location is your um, studio? We're in Ballarat in Victoria. Um, and we have a, um, an office which is on the main street on Sturt Street in Ballarat, um, which we purchased in 2007. It was a big year for us. Um, moved to Ballarat, bought a house and uh, chopped it in half, uh, made the front half into the studio on the main street and um, the back half into our, our house over a few years after that and um, uh, started the practice, which we, um, we, we kind of did um on the back of a semi successful competition entry um we were working in another practice and uh as a lot of architects do sort of doing a bit of moonlighting um with some competition entries and that sort of thing and so we um we entered into the Australian peacekeeping memorial design competition in Canberra and um I did not know this about you didn't you mm. yeah so we um we we Put in a it was an open competition. We love open competitions where uh, it's anonymous and uh, and you don't need to be pre-qualified. You don't need to sort of suggest that you've done you know many peacekeeping memorials before in order to qualify <laughs> to be <laughs> considered for the gig. And um, when the shortlist came out, it was um, four firms: one from Sydney, one from Brisbane, one from Melbourne, and one from Ballarat. And um, we got a check for twenty thousand uh, dollars for our uh, for our work on the for stage one of the competition. And um, and that was supposed to sort of um, cover the, the expenses of, of moving forward with the second stage to develop your design, um, but we just sort of you know spent it on a plotter and uh, furniture for the office and, and used it to. It was at the time twenty thousand dollars was 
more than 50% of my yearly income. So it was like okay, a so, six month so there was, salary. Check. There's a there's a detail in there that um uh might be self evident, but you are you started the business as a partnership, right? That's right, Jules and With I. Someone special. Yeah, so my wife Jules um, and I met on the first day of uh, first year in um, architecture Aww. school many many years ago, nineteen ninety nine. University sweethearts. Last century. That's cute. Yeah, so we've been. Um, partners in architecture and in life for 20 years or, or so. And, um, uh, yeah, we've, we've got very similar sensibilities when it comes to architecture. And um, whenever I talk about a Maloney Architects project or my project, I really should be saying me and Jules because it is uh, both of us together. We've been able to, to get where we've got with, uh, with our business. And, um, yeah, she's a, a uh, huge inspiration to, to everything we do. Although we, at the moment, um, Jules is uh, part-time because we've got three kids under 10 uh, and that is a huge handful. Um, so we've gone instead of more of... Um, like you and Erica, Warwick, have got a, a sort of a more job-sharing sort of co-parenting arranging thing where you, you, you've got to coming in and out all the time. Ours yeah. is more of a divide-and-conquer sort of model and... Uh, <laughs> We, um, uh, I, I do, you know, every day in the office and, um, and Jules comes in and out. And, um, mostly in, engaging with the, the high-level business decisions um, rather than the day-to-day minutiae of the running a project. Cool. I don't want to dominate the questions, um, Kate. You just jump in. Uh, look, I've got a question, a burning question. What So... I think when we all start out, we kind of muddle along for a little while and then you get this sort of gear up. Can you, um, can you tell us what sort of led to that sort of gear up um, in your business? So, you know, was it getting onto zero? Was it starting to manage your cash flow? Was it a big project? Like what was it that sort of elevated you out of your, you know, muddling startup process and into the growth? Hmm, that's a good question. Great question. Uh, I'm not even sure if we're still out of our muddling. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I um, yeah, I've got I've got two projects on that are um, less than two hundred thousand dollars at the moment. You know, mm. to to say that, you know, and, and and any architect that turns around and says, "Oh yeah, I only take on five million dollar jobs," it's a load of shit. Like architects take on good projects of all values, and we we like to take, you know, still do those sort of projects, and and you know, there's not much profit in it, but I, I like to assume that we would always take on sort of a full range rather than saying yes we've made it we're the we're the big architects now in town um but um yeah i, I don't really know i can't really put my finger on a point uh, on a point in time where we sort of said you know we've got that momentum or we've got the um the runs on the board or, or when. maybe when you hired your first staff member you know or yeah. something like that when did you hire your first staff member how many years in i don't I can't really remember. I'd have to go back and look, but it's it's we've had people helping us for, I would say seven or eight years. Um, so we probably did the first four or so on our own, and um, and then uh, yeah. So Jules um, going on maternity leave um, ten years ago would have probably been when. I um I realised just how much he was doing <laughs> around the office, <laughs> and uh, that if I was going to take uh, take over from her, I needed to get um, at least ten people in to to fill the role. <laughs> but but um, yeah, uh, I think it was um, 
yeah, probably seven or eight years ago. And we've had um, various people. We've had registered architects. We've had graduates. We've had students. Um, and we've had a, a really good interior designer for the last uh, four years or so. So how many people are you now? Uh, there's six of us now. Um, and All full-time? Uh, no. Um, four full-time, uh, two part-time. What's the What sort of programs and software are you running? What's your DNA? So we used to be all AutoCAD. Um, yep. And uh, we bought Revit and, uh, and, and upgraded to that and employed an architect who was proficient in Revit um, maybe three or four years ago. And it was a successful transition for us. I didn't find that I thought about architecture in the way that Revit thinks about architecture. And um, yeah, I, well, so uh, you abandoned it. Yeah, we abandoned it. And um, back to AutoCAD. Uh, no, we went to a very unusual BIM program called SketchUp. <laughs> and there uh, is controversy about whether or not yeah. that is classified as a BIM software. Well, there's no, there's no controversy at all. It's it is BIM. Building <laughs> uh, <laughs> information modeling requires <laughs> a, a central model, and and that's parametrically um, linked to the drawing. So that's that's the definition of it, and that's what SketchUp and Layout provide. And I would. Um, encourage anybody with a small firm under sort of 10 or 12 architects um, that you can collaborate and work really well in a program like SketchUp with Layout. Um, that said, there's limitations on it that um, a program like Revit is far superior in terms of document management and collaboration. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, if you're doing smaller projects, so sub, sub $5 million projects, then your, uh, your team of people working on that is likely to be very small. So... Um, for example, when I was at Batesmart, we were doing $100 million plus, um, you know, like the, the Fairfax, the headquarters um, opposite Southern Cross there. And the, the team for that was um, nine or ten people. Mm. So, you know, if you're doing projects a tenth of that scale or, or 20th of the size, um, you know, your, your team, m- most of our teams on our projects would be two people, three people. Mm. So collaboration becomes quite simple. In terms so of the business, sorry. There you go. You go. In terms of the business side of things, are you, you know, mild zero? <laughs> um, you go. Pen and paper. <laughs> this is really it's those receipt be, books um, with the blue paper yeah, and yeah. the you borrow. <laughs> so we spent so long having um, everything done in um, just in basic Excel, and yeah. um, we I think it was probably about seven or eight years ago that we approached a an accounting firm, Cook and Foley, in. Ballarat and um, they were so good to work with they just they really um, cared for us and, our, and the business and, and um, listened to us were really patient with us and would look at my spreadsheets and I, I you know color code everything and I was a bit of a spreadsheet nerd and uh, uh, w- w- you know I was manually entering every receipt for the business and then um, at one point Kim my accountant said um you do realise that, you know, you could get a bookkeeper to do this for about 25 bucks an hour and you could just go and concentrate on, you know, drawing buildings and making money. And I went, hmm, that's a really good idea. So we, um, <laughs> we've, we've had a bookkeeper and an accountant um, running for seven or eight years now and it's been the best thing we've ever done. They, they're, they're good, mm. they're trustworthy, they look after everything. Um, they, they're quick to get back to us when we've got questions. Um, and uh, so they, they handle our BAS and um, day-to-day accounting, payroll, all of the all of the things that, that a small business requires. Do you have a strategic plan? Yeah, we do. 
um, it's it's a bit of a work in progress. Um, but we often think about managing growth as a as kind of our primary um, concern of of how we're going to you know what whatever form Millennium Architects is in 2020 and what it will be in 2030. And I often wonder about that future, about, you know, is it going to be an office of 20 people or 50 people or is it going to be just me, you know, back to, just me and Jules. Um, the, that the was royal, actually the royal was. me. Because <laughs> um, I'm curious about the arrangement you have um, with the software tools and the consultants you have, like as part of the team, you know, accountants and so on, whether or not that is paving the way you know, it sounds to me like you'd have no ambition to become a bait smart with a hundred people working on hundred million dollar projects. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if anyone here has that ambition. Mm. Um, and so therefore does the decisions you make about taking on SketchUp, which might not really scale effectively to a project of that much bigger magnitude, is that kind of part and parcel of that decision-making or do you not really sort of link them that way? Um, yeah. It's not something that we've, extensively interrogated um i think that the the sort of way we've run everything is that you know we will we'll jump off the cliff and build our wings on the way down so if we if we were to get a, a 20 million dollar project and um uh and that required uh, a a bim solution that wasn't sketchup uh, such as uh revit then we could hire and and do that project in revit and the days of me needing to adapt my own a skill set to driving a CAD program, uh, thankfully, sort of in the past that I can now move into doing a job like that with a with a team of I just hire a team of suitably uh, talented CAD monkeys who could um, produce those drawings, and um, and I would be the the monkey puppeteer and I should pull the strings. The master employees beware <laughs> that if there's a sudden uh, employment. St- spree in Ballarat you should um uh run unless you want to have strings attached to your that's right bits. yeah yeah sorry I just so had if to you want to work in Balan for the rest of your life yes or uh, Belgrade that's where you go <laughs> or oh, Belgrade that's a good one or Belgrave Belgrave <laughs> yeah <laughs> Barcelona it's the yeah. Barcelona of Western Victoria Ballarat <laughs> yeah um so in terms of projects um when you launched your ship, other than this competition, um, how big was your? How many did you have on the books at the time? Uh, Jules and I were the only employees. Of no, no. So how many projects? Oh, none. <laughs> <laughs> I love that answer. It's like, oh no, yeah, no, 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 no. We had nothing to do, but we had we had twenty thousand bucks burning a hole in our pocket. So you know, it was we had a runway. It, as, as hilarious as that sounds, you know, that in 2007, that was a lot of money. And uh, how, that's still a lot how of money did, now. Which you blew on a plotter. We bought a $3,500 plotter and uh, it lasted for 10 years. And it was great. But um, yeah. How did you market then? So you didn't have a portfolio of projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and we so had you just one, yeah, how do you go for the one first project? renovation, one eight square metre renovation. Um, nice. which we had on our website for many years, which was the Victoria Avenue house and a budget. I think it was a budget of 150 grand on that. Yeah. From, from memory. And as in you had done that as a private job. I'd done that as a private job. That's sort of the only real private job I'd done. Uh, and that was back when we were living in Melbourne. So that would have been 2006 or 2005. 
um, and that that was being built in Ballarat um, at the time when we made the switch and uh, we got introduced to a lot of builders and various other people in the community, doctors and lawyers and use family connections and, you know, the usual sort of things. It's a real town of doctors, isn't it, Ballarat? Yeah, it's really... There's thousands of them. There's many of them, yeah. <laughs> Such a so saturation the, of doctors. Yeah. So the first commission <laughs> then, um, post-establishment of the company, mm. was... Um, the Parker Street House. And did that connection come through your social networks? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and how long after you set up shop? Oh, uh, a few months. Not not long. Yeah, I think we were still um, doing the second stage of that design competition, and um, we um, uh, were, we we got an email from a, a doctor um, who wanted to build a house uh, overlooking um, a park, Vic Park in Ballarat, and. Um, it was a really good project. We worked with you know, clients; were lovely. We had, you know, they'd invite us over for dinner, and we'd talk all the way about our ideas for their house. And it was, um, we had a bunch of objections because it was in a, uh, a housing um, development, and we wanted it to pitch it up to face north, um, and uh, none of the other houses in the area were in. You know, they were all just sort of straight up and down suburban houses. So all of the objections were that. People um, uh, said we bought this property because of its heritage nature, despite the fact that it was a new subdivision. And mm. um, uh, so we got we got all these objections, and then we did you know full planning and um, mediations, and, and we got through it, and we got our planning permit in the end. And um, we were so excited, and Jules and I were like, yeah, and <laughs> punch in the air. And then um, the clients called us um, on a, on the Sunday. That we got <laughs> of that week and said, oh, so we went looking for houses and we bought a house. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that is, I mean, uh, we could, maybe we should do a whole episode oh, about yeah. the reasons residential clients cancel their projects. Yeah. Mm. Actually, that would be a great episode. I've got some classics. Oh, yeah. Well, let's not give anything away because. I have a graph. It's going to be big. It's going to be you it's inspired my love of graphs, Warwick. I, after reading your blog for many years, me I, too, um, Warwick. Was, yeah, Panfilo people, get on board. Mm, yeah, get on board gonna, it. Gonna get on board, Panfilo. But the so um, I actually presented it at the um, Institute of Architects forum one year um, of the client enthusiasm uh, versus. I love time that graph. graph. It's so good. Yeah. It's good. It's a good fun graph. I should, I should uh, put it in the show notes or something. But uh, essentially, do it's you the, please the, put it in the show you know, notes? The start of the of the process. Oh, I'm mirrored over here. I'm just writing down, by the way, um, an episode about reasons clients kill projects. Yeah. Boom. In, in the That's just a day. cathartic one. I don't think anyone's going to get any information <laughs> no out of that. Just, just a whole bunch of whinging and then we'll file it away. And <laughs> there was a, I, I posed a question. Um, this is a little bit off topic, but I posed a question on the Architeam forum, oh, I don't know, maybe like a year ago about ridiculous things that clients ask for that you just kind of go, come on. Like, do you really need the second sink in the vanity or the, the double-headed shower or the whatever? Mm. And it Space was just for the giant timber butter at the top of the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. And I put this up there and there was like literally 120 comments in the space of 24 <laughs> hours because everyone just like dumped every bit of catharsis they could possibly do. And it was this most trivial thing in this context of, you know, running a business. <laughs> so important. Yeah. 
Um, but look, this show is not about that. This show is about uh, Mick. Um, we just need to give right. him a break. It's, it's a little break. Me. Okay, so um, that was a start. And how many projects? Oh, before, actually, you mm. said you've got six staff, two part-time. So what's your FTE? Full-time. Full-time equivalent, equivalent for um, uh, newcomers. Uh, I'll refer that question to my accounting team. Where I can't remember. Okay, let's say approximately five full-time equivalent yeah. people. Yeah. yeah. So how many projects do you have on the books now to sustain that team size? About 15. All right. Yeah. And budget range? A um, couple of them, smaller ones, 200,000 and below. And then the largest is in the four to $5 million bracket for a new house. And all houses? That's a big spread. Uh, we have probably an 80 to 90% houses. And but are they we do old like ads? Other, uh, lots of old ads, lots of heritage buildings as we are in yeah. Ballarat. And that's been something that we've, um, we've kind of fall, fallen into a little bit that we... We, you know, we're just unashamed modernists in our work, but the, uh, I suppose, the wealth of great buildings in Ballarat and around the area, and these mm. beautiful old homesteads that we get to work with, um, it's so interesting and it's so rich. There's so much you can respond to and to, to delicately sort of work around. We're doing a house on Lake Wendery at the moment, where mm-hmm. our extension on. Uh, on the back of it, so it's got this sort of lovely old profile of the house with the uh, eaves gutter and the little gutter supports and this sort of nice little profile. And our extension kind of is is an offset sleeve that comes out over the top of that, so a big modernist box with a, the silhouette of the old building carved into the inside of it, and it just sort of sits over it with a little 100-millimetre shadow line between the two. Cool. And, you know, solutions like that that would be totally bonkers to, to come up with if it wasn't for responding to this beautiful old structure. So, yeah, we mm. do lots of alts and ads and, um, and we love it. And um, talking about graphs, like I, 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 love, um, I love measuring, the, the, you know, the quantities of things. I think it gives real insight into, you know, a more... Um, a broader qualitative conversation, but do you, would you have at your fingertips things like how many projects you win in a year? Um, no, I have done the numbers on that uh, previously when I've talked about um, stages at the practice forum, and we, in some years, we can, we can have up to ninety five percent of our inquiries will be um, unsuccessful, like for for either projects that we're not interested in doing or um, or the clients will just turn around when we give them our initial um, client guide and explain our fees and uh, how the stages work and the processes. You know, we, we've talked about this in previous podcasts. Um, but uh, we would say, you know, between 5 to 10% of people actually bring that to the second stage. Um, so we might do 50 or 60 um, uh, welcome packs or... Um, client guide send outs over the year um and yeah is that sorry is that stage one or stage two stage one yeah so welcome packs is the first contact yep 50 to 60 and then yep. that gets whittled down to how many proposals uh in a in a busy year 10 to 50 oh well no sorry in terms of proposals um i would say 50 percent of those would turn into proposals um and then of those um yeah we we're only signing on you know four or five projects in a year all right. So the first, let me go through this. The first, so the inquiry comes in to Infert Maloney or whatever it is. Yep. 
um, and the response to that is to send them a client guide? Well, no, we, we call them. Um, yep. So yep. We, we just want to have five minutes on the phone. I think that you can tell so much even in one minute uh, with talking to somebody just about mm-hmm. how they um, inquire. You know, the classic inquiry that we get that starts off with, just wanted to see how much it costs to draw up some plans, mm-hmm. um, is first thing is telling you. This, that they, they're they shopping for a price. They're not shopping for an architect. And yeah. they um, are, are only really looking for that number. And they're the ones that we can usually get them where they need to go in terms of um, a referral on to somebody else um, within, you know, five minutes on the phone. Mm-hmm. And then we're also looking for that number, aren't we? Because then you respond by saying, "Yeah, but how much have you got to spend?" <laughs> <laughs> we used to be we used to pussyfoot around asking people about their budget for ages. Yeah. You know, it'd be like twenty five minutes to for a phone call. Well, have you given any thought to how much you budget? <laughs> and now it's like minute three. I'm like, okay, so what what are we talking here? Is it seven hundred thousand dollars a job or seven million dollar job? What are we? What's your budget? What's your yeah. range? And I think people appreciate. It. I think people are you know are looking to sort of get rid of that, that layer of bullshit and, you know, dancing around those sort of things. And it's a, it's a weird thing though, because people don't usually talk about how much my house costs or how much my project is um, yeah. with their friends. And, you know, it's a, it's a taboo question. Say, oh, how much is your house? Um, but it, um, you're meeting an architect for the first time. You might have two minutes of, of background sort of um, small talk. And then they say, well, how much is your biggest asset? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's really weird. I did have, I remember someone explaining to me, I can't remember who it was, um, that there is a very um, atypical intimacy that comes between an architect and a, um, and a residential client. Yeah. And the way this person described it was, you know, we're designing the drawer that their underwear goes in. Mm. And a therefore we have to ask intimacy. how much underwear they have. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, we always, I, I, that's the name of my next podcast, by the way. Yeah, how I'm much underwear do you have? Atypical intimacy. Atypical. Oh, atypical. I prefer how much underwear do you have? My next podcast. You can take that. Uh, what was it? Atypical intimacy. Intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Good one. So much better than in detail. Yeah. Way better. <laughs> yeah, I just need to get onto that Missed time machine. Go back. The um. <laughs> Yeah, but we always say that when we're, we're asking people about, you know, well, do, you, do you want to have a, a toilet in the ensuite or do you want that in a separate yeah. little room? Do you want and, a door on it or not? And a door on it. How comfortable know. are you? It's like asking, you know, does your <laughs> shit stink? <laughs> you don't like the smell of each other's shit? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. What a terrible marriage you have. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this one's going down the toilet, <laughs> literally. Literally, yeah. Um, we actually have had – I know I'm not going to say it. Sorry. No, the next <laughs> really? episode about how projects end. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Over the toilet. Um, <laughs> note, man. It's interesting that, that that conversation. I mean, we, we have had a, a situation where someone called up and said, can you come over? You know, and we were like, all right, well, let's get some things out of the way. Like we've got some basic, you know, information gathering and, and fact and feel that we would do before we do that and one of those questions was how is your budget and they were flabbergasted that I would want to know the, the I would want to know what that is before I came over and met them because <laughs> you've got <laughs> nothing else to do with your time Kate <laughs> and I'm kind of like do you go into a GP's office or your lawyer yeah. and be like I don't want to talk about you know or your accountant like I'm going to tell you how much my income was this year because you know so they wanted you to take you know a couple of hours of time out of your day yeah. to go and talk to them because they thought that they would have a sufficient budget and that there was information that was private to them. No, no. They thought that 
we would be so keen on Uh, shooing the work (laughs) that we would want to go and schmooze with them at their house prior to knowing anything about the project. They're doing a imbalance. Yeah. Yeah. The the graphic design world, I think, in some ways is actually more susceptible, not susceptible, more subject to... um, you know, doing free work than architects. I think that's become a big thing amongst architects and in the architect profession about being really resistant to doing that, certainly residential. Mm. But, you know, um, doing that, um, what do they call it? Free, you know, freebie work and sort of um, not being able to ask that sort of question is huge. And so the number of memes that exist online about, yeah. you know, um, I've seen whole videos of people going into coffee shops and pretending they're a graphic designer and saying, look, I'm going to come in. I want you to make a coffee for me for free. And then I'm going to determine whether or not you're going to become my preferred coffee (laughs) supplier. And then we're going to negotiate on price. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So on your fee proposals, Mick, it seems like you... You've kind of got a bit of a mass approach. I mean, to to compare it to Whispering's Neither, I think we would be only be writing... I don't know, maybe 10 a year or something like that. Well, we're going so to we find out next episode. a separate fee proposal that we write, which is um, more of a um, like a personalised document about the project and it's got a summary of the brief and, um, uh, you know, it's, it's specifically tailored to the, the clients, but that's a stage two thing. So our the way we're, like this year it's been very busy. We've had, 50, um, yeah, more than 50 um, uh, serious inquiries. So there's kind of almost three stages. So there's the we would get at least five to ten phone calls a week from mm-hmm. from inquiries. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and so that's like hundreds of phone calls over the year. But they're the ones that we can really um, cull really quickly because they're um, most of them, like ninety percent of them, are um, are not they're they're people looking for a service that we don't provide most of the time. So that's like that's between two hundred and fifty and five hundred calls a year. Yeah. Wow. That's wait. I mean, we have high volume in inquiries as well that turn into nothing. Um, but that's yeah. I spend one, two to f- one three times what to, do we have? One point five to two days of my working week is spent doing inquiries and fee proposals. Interesting. Yeah. Which is crazy because I uh, you don't have a phone. <laughs> What's that? You don't have a phone. <laughs> I love that. That is so good. Wow, you get calls about work. We don't even have a phone. No, we don't want one. If that's yeah. what's going to happen, no, God, I imagine how don't much. Don't fucking win. don't get one. <laughs> I hadn't thought that was an option, but um, oh look, yeah, you just you know got what? an email. We don't even have computers, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. No pens. No, no, no pens. Um, so don't even have architecture degrees. So, do you not have your phone number on your website? Negative. Far out. That is. It's like. like if, you, thing if I've they ever want seen. a project, they're going to have to email us <gasps> with the details about the project. And so the first thing that comes in from that, anyway, I probably should be going into me. I've just derailed this. I, thing. But basically, no, they this... hit us up with a thing and we hit them back straight away saying, here's a list of things that we would need to know about your project and we'll book you in for a phone call. Kate. And then half the time they don't even write back to that thing because they cannot be bothered to tell you how many bedrooms they want. And you can just get rid of them straight away. You're so a, bullish. You're the queen of architecture. I, yeah. I, I wish to subscribe to your newsletter. <laughs> um, well, um, speaking well, of... But you can't which, call me, so I, that's I all you're going to get. 500. <laughs> <laughs> I have 500 questions on that, but I'm going to save them all for the, the next episode. Yeah. yeah. In, in the meantime, to our audience, um, 
don't forget you can follow us at indetail.show, which is our website where we have all of our goodies, um, your favorite podcasting app or Twitter in detail show, no dot. Um, anyway, how, how'd you like that? That was like smooth. <laughs> that was smooth. I didn't say that coming. Yeah. To be I honest. Know, just bam. I mean, well, it's you all can still about. Surprise me. We're episode three or four, or whatever we're at. Still surprised. Still. <laughs> That's how fresh we are. We've been, we've been going season this one, people. <laughs> all of four weeks. Um, all right, let, let's get back to Mick. We've given him another break. I think yeah. that's enough, enough yeah, of the yeah. break. Mop his brow. What we talk? Oh, yeah. Okay, so just to summarise, what that means is we're talking, and I'm, I'm interested in this because I think that for our audience, those ratios can feel quite um, like bamboozling or uh, um, I'm not going to say upsetting but like kind of stressful because you go, man, I'm getting – all these calls and they're not turning into projects, but that's the reality mm. of residential work, right? So we're talking yeah. a few hundred calls. Yeah, at year, least a few hundred calls a year. Sometimes, which, yeah, multiple hundreds. And um, it's it's exhausting because you don't know which one. Like we had uh, a couple, uh, they were the probably our only ever door knock clients because we, we've got this space on the main street. No one ever knocks on the door. That. One couple came yeah. in, knocked on the door, said, we have a... Uh, a problem with the sliding door of our house um, and um, we would like you to ha- have, a, have a look at it. The trouble is it's located an hour and a half away from Ballarat. We'd like you to come down and look at it. And I said, well, look, next time I'm down that way, I'll, I'll definitely drop in. So I did and $900,000 later, we built a new house. No way. Out of a sliding door. Yeah. Is that the camp? Is that in Canberra? Sorry. No. <laughs> Can we – I reckon that's a really interesting case study um, – I don't know if it's another episode or if we should just come back to it later, but the idea of, um, you know, the upsell um, and the role the architect has in, yes. um, yeah. in just being a nice person. Well, I hate the idea of upselling. We, we try and downsell whenever, whenever possible, but um, the minute you try and do that, I, um, I did a stint of selling mobile phones in a plaza. It's one of my least um, glamorous nice. jobs. Uh, Which plaza? As I said, the interview question was, um, where do you see yourself going with this job? And I said, oh, look, you know, I'm, I'm really only studying architecture to make my way in the mobile phone world. <laughs> <laughs> and the boss guy, yeah, sure, sure thing, smartass, get you hired, fine. <laughs> but oh, my, my strategy was, and it was a really good strategy, so lots of phones, was to say, okay, so you've come to our booth, Telesell, and what you need to do is go to Optus and then you need to go to Telstra and then you need to go to Vodafone and you need to compare all their plans. Here's our little sheet. And, uh, and I'd draw them a little map of where it was in the mall so that they could go out and do it. And a lot of people would just turn around and go, yeah, I couldn't be fucked going and doing all that. Just, just sign me up. You seem like a nice guy. But we, the, the whole idea of sort of if you straight up with your clients and you don't treat them like an idiot and you say, look, you know, if I was in this position what would I want that person to be doing for me? So we yeah. go down and check out the door of the back of your house and say, oh, okay, cool. Well, you know, to fix that sliding door might cost you $1,500. Um, anything else you want us to look at? And um, well, of, of construction fees, not <laughs> architectural fees. <laughs> well, I'm here, so that'll be at yes. least. <laughs> There's your 1500 gone. Grand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, you know, we, 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 we look at a lot of jobs and, and certainly in the early days, we'd just look at anything really. And um, yeah. we'd, we'd tell people straight up. Um, we, we like to be really straight up. And, that, and that's why our phone call inquiries can be, um, I think, summed up really quickly is because we will tell people the, the long and the short of how much we think their, their project's going to cost. Um, mm. And so people can talk to us about their budget um, 
but most of the time we'll, we'll have already taken a, a quick brief of what they're trying to achieve. Um, and then we can say, look, you know, that's just an impossibility. We can't, we, you can't do the work that you see on our website, you know, four bedroom home for $400,000, you know, it's just not going to happen. Mm. Um, but we can refer you on to, you know, you sort of at that budget, you're in the, you know, uh, probably an, a nice project home. So why don't you go and talk to these local project home builders in Ballarat and refer people on through to that network? Because it's about, to me, it's about sort of just trying to get them towards, you know, like a, an operator service <laughs> where where do I need to be put through to um, to to get them where they need to go essentially though someone that is a it's a really good marketing strategy because that person would probably recommend you if someone was talking about an architect at some point they've made contact with you they've had a conversation with you yeah Mick was a straight shooter he didn't try and take any money off us to, before we realized that we weren't in the right um, ballpark uh, so I, I imagine it pisses off uh, the occasional client too, you know, somebody who's got a, uh, you know how your clients sometimes will tell you that their budget's 400 but they secretly are going to spend 800 and mm. you're like, oh, great, that's going to make it easier to design your building. Um, but uh, so I, I imagine we've lost a few clients who've given us sort of um, – uh, Fake, uh, yeah, cheap fake, budgets. Fake, cheap budgets. But yeah. – um, w- Well, the sliding say, door case study is actually – I mean, we, we've not had anything as dramatic as that, but we definitely have had clients who've approached us for, you know, a $250,000 tart up and ended up, you know, pivoting to a million dollar house. Yeah. Um, and if you judge a book by its cover, you'd probably say no to a lot of opportunities. I guess yeah. the risk also is, is if you get bullish about kind of, you know, pushing back mm. and saying, I don't want to talk to you until I've sort of determined these things mm. that you can turn away what might actually be an absolutely incredible job. job. Like it's, I think it's a very, yeah. such a hard Definitely. game. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not the only one who finds that really hard because uh, you'd think after 13 years of, of that same phone call that we would be better at it, but we're not. Mm. You know, everyone is still really interesting. Everybody's got a different uh, story about what, why they're calling you. And um, a lot of people have got the same brief. You know, everybody wants to have a four-bedroom home with a separate play area for the kids and uh, two and a half bathrooms. Um, for four hundred. Yeah, for four hundred. The magic number. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, ultimately, there are these little sort of quirks and these little parts of their approach, and and the reason why they might have called you last or called you first or um, this might be their first house or their tenth house or their their builders or you know there might be. We get a lot of calls from builders, a lot of people who... Want to own a build? Yeah, but but like Mm. construction managers and registered builders. And um, they very rarely turn into clients because they don't necessarily, I think, see the value in in what we do because they're insiders in the world and think they can just do it themselves and they're sort of looking more for a drafting service for a fancy design rather Mm. than what we sort of tell them is that, you know, where you... We often say we're, we're like your spirit guide in this whole process. Where I use that as well. Do you? Spirit animal. Spirit yeah. animal. <laughs> yeah. And we what, say what we're Yoda. You're all Luke Skywalker and we're Yoda. Nice. Mm. You use that line? Yeah. It's a, it's, I read this book once that says that the client, your client's the hero of the story and you're the wise old guide that's always there. Oh, know? man, we are so going to use that now. Love it. Yeah, it's the best. Stealing it straight away. And I every like, single movie that you've seen that has that kind of, it's a Hollywood plot line and it's in yeah. all of them. You know, you've got your yeah. Katniss Everdeens, you've got your Yoda. Okay, come on, let's your... not bring that stupid franchise into. <laughs> What's that one? That's bloody Hunger Games. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Hamish. Hamish is the wise guy, the, you know, 
then there's a the hero of the story. Is I the used one. Mr. Miyagi then, like that's some sort of current culture. Mr. Version. Miyagi, that's <laughs> a Miyagi classic. is a classic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. trying to think of others. Marty McFly and Doc Emmett Brown. Doc. That yeah. Class of mm. Yeah. I can't Ooh. wait until my kids can are old enough to watch that movie. God, I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so speaking of staying back on track. <laughs> back, back to this. Can I get a time check? I forgot to press the we start, are, stopwatch. I don't know. I think we're about half an hour. We've got, a, we've got time for a couple more. <laughs> this <Can> is, I... <laughs> uh, audience, this is how we are like a well-oiled machine. Mm. We are on top of every part of the pre, yeah. post and during we, production. We also exactly like our podcast. businesses. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Crisp, well-timed, yep. <laughs> well put together. Professional. Yeah. Yeah, go, Kate. Um, damn it. I've forgotten. Oh, yeah, that's right. I was going to ask you, which, which, of the, which of the jobs through, through the time, through the last few years, yeah. are the ones that you think have been the most successful in terms of profit? And you can put other enjoyable factors in there if you want, but... Mm. I'm really more just interested in which one, which are the ones that you were like, they went well, you earned good money off yeah. them, the clients were happy, you know, is there any of them? <laughs> well, there must be. I mean, you know. There must be. There must I'm be. Making, <laughs> none come to mind. <laughs> you say this a lot, Warwick, that, you know, the architects are sort of notoriously underpaid for the, the sort of risk that we have and the, the risk we take and the, and the business owning sort of responsibilities that we have. And the but, emotional drama. Yeah. Put yeah. On a day-to-day the hell off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, must not be. Enough stress must in be your life. Enough stress in my life. Uh, look, I, I don't know. I think I was, I was having a chat to my first boss, Tony Hobber, down on. Um, he's down in the Surf Coast, and um, I was chatting to him the other week, um, and he said, "How how is business?" And I was telling him what what sort of projects we've we've got on, and um, he said, um, "You know." Have you worked out a really good system, a way of um, taking in a, a $600,000 renovation or a $750,000 house um, and then um, delivering that and getting that out the door profitably and, and with a happy client? Mm. And I said, yeah, I think we have. I think we've, we've come across a, um, a really good sort of workflow now. We've got um, uh, a really good system in place for explaining to clients how the design process works stage sign-offs so that we don't go and uh, get continual scope creep through this through the stages um, and and a really clear path in um, using a um, interior designer to help really drive the design development phase um, and you know I think our processes are working really well and that's tied in really closely with the way that we do our billing and so that I would say all of our projects maintain a really sort of um, normal sort of baseline profitability. I don't think any one particular one is more so than any other one. Um, but interestingly, Tony was saying that, you know, he's in the really mature stages of his work and he's doing – he's got no multi-multi-million dollar projects and nothing below multi-million dollars in terms of his, his work that he's got on. Um, but he was saying that if you can work out how to, to run a profitable practice with those sub $1 million projects, that's all you need to do because everything else is easy. You know, if you can get that um, mm-hmm. uh, sorted out and, and, you know, not go hungry on those sort of projects, then the world's your oyster. 
Mm. So that was nice to hear. You know, somebody who's been in the game for forty years instead of twenty, and um, uh, and who really knows their stuff. Um, uh, that that you know the market that we operate in probably has you know architecturally the the tightest of margins and. Um, and it's you know it's it's small bickies compared to you know ten million dollar John Waterhouse or something like that. Um, we we did a presentation to the jury when we put in the two halves house project that we did um, for the awards a few years ago, and um, somebody one of the um, we were in between Sean Godsell and somebody else and, and one of these magic sort of Starkitect names and they got up there with this incredible house and it had these beautiful timber battens all over the whole thing and it was just exquisitely detailed and it looked like it cost about three million bucks. And they've gone, yes, yes, it was a budget-driven project and uh, that's where they were sort of apologising for being a budget-driven project. I've gone, holy shit. <laughs> I want that budget-driven project. Uh, I want to make the compromises that you had to make. Um, yeah, sorry, long answer to your question, Kate, but it's, um, we don't know, I can't really identify a particular project type, even though like we do mostly residential projects. Um, the renovation ones do take a bit more time, so I'd say on average they would be a slightly less profitable than a new house. But you still, it sounds to me like you're making profit on your projects. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we, um, we, we there's, this, there's this sense that architects will do jobs for free, like you were talking about with the graphic designers or something um, before, that the days of us really taking on any project that we don't think will, will pay its way um, are over. And it should be. You know, I don't think anybody should be doing a project just to prove yourself. Or um, we, we hear a lot of young architects who who come in and chat to us or whatever about, um, oh, I've got to do this because I've got to build my resume, I've got to build my folio, so therefore I'm going to go in at, you know, sub 5% or, you know, a fixed, very low fixed fee. And they wind up working for a very, very long time um, for, for a very low um, bit of fee. And I think it just builds resentment. You know, you've got to be, it's got to be profitable. It's got to be um, at least paying its way every, every do you project. think Do you think that's though that's because you're operationally very good? Like do you think in the early days when you were sort of mucking around with your, what package you were going to use and now you've, you're on SketchUp so you've obviously developed like a level of proficiency and efficiency with that. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that is why you're profitable now or, you know, yeah, in comparison quicker. to say the first two years? Yeah. So Kim, our accountant, said to me uh, once, um, I was talking to her and her boss who, who's retired but it was, I think it might have been her boss, Dennis, um, because we, we went in there and we said, oh, you know, here's, a, here's what we made this year. You know, what's what's the secret here? You know, how do we how do we double our revenue? And Dennis just looked at me and he's gone, work twice as hard. <laughs> work twi- no, work twice as fast. And, and I've gone, okay, thank you, Yoda. <laughs> but um, Here's your Yoda, yep. <laughs> we, um, no, we, we, we hit it pretty hard. We, we, uh, I like to queue up client meetings sometimes every week, um, if not every, every fortnight, mm-hmm. and, um, and I keep projects moving and that means that when, you know, monthly billing time comes around, we're, we're pretty, um, uh, you know, pretty happy, happy that we've um, been in contact with that client, we've made um, headway into, into their project and mm. um, we try, even though our projects do tend to take a long time, um, I would say that we, you know, we're, we're working at them constantly, and we don't have any sort of uh, much downtime that would that would be profit, uh, unprofitable for the business. Hmm. In terms of your um, revenue, 
sort of slash take home salary <coughs> for you and Jules as the directors of the practice. Yeah. Um, let's not talk specifics, but let's just talk about, I guess, expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like you, that Maloney Architects is a vehicle for you to generate sufficient income for your lives? Uh, it hasn't Question. always been, you know, we would have made a lot more money in the first five years if we'd worked in Melbourne um, and, and, and sort of, be, you know, registered architects with five years' experience and... and um, you know, salaried. And salaried architects, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we would have made more money than we did in the practice in those very early days, but um, not so now. You know, we'd be, we earn comfortably more than what a, a salaried architect would because, you know, we're taking... A, a business um, approach where you know we're, we're taking the risks of the whole company, and um, um, you know we get the rewards for that as well. But um, it, it, we are uh, at a point now where we're actually pulling ahead, you know, and that and that's been um, a really sort of welcome surprise because when we started the practice, we didn't know if it was going to be successful or not. We just assumed that um, uh, it just couldn't be worse than getting paid 40 grand a year you know, it was, you know with the way the industry treats younger architects um, yeah it's um you know the, the the wages are so shit house that we just you know we thought we, we, we've got to try doing something and see how it goes um and we've loved it we, we you know we always wanted to do it but if it was unsuccessful i've got a degree in construction management so i would have just gone and become a builder i think that's probably the um the fundamental thesis of this podcast and that is that um and you know for what it's worth also for erica and i we've said this to her so many times in different contexts that um we're still running our own business because we you know fundamentally believe at a core level that this can be a vehicle for wealth generation um and i think that's the sort of what this podcast is about as well, that you don't have to be a struggling artist to be an architect, Mm. um, that you can actually be a, um, run a a studio that does good design that you're proud of, that, you know, you want to do all the things that architects love to do, like an entrant into awards and win awards and get it published and make beautiful things. Mm. Um, But also, you know, maybe one day be able to afford to do that yourself for your own house. Yeah. Um, which is in some ways like the holy grail. You know, we spend so much time with wealthy individuals that we can't afford to do the work they're doing. So that's great. Like I think that's such a positive message. Yeah. Also, I mean, in that there's that idea of wealth. I mean, what do you do when when you're a generous, decent person? What do you do with your wealth? I mean, you probably spend more time mentoring or doing things like this. Or, you know, there's no way I could have done a podcast like this two years ago, three years ago. Too busy. Just was just, you know, nose to the grindstone yeah. trying to survive. Yeah. Um, mm. And I, that idea of wealth, I think, is is not what what it, what it used to mean in the 90s, you know. Not oh, look, I don't think, mm. and it's I think, not an objective measurement. I think it's. No. But I, I do think that in architecture, wealth is kind of dirty, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. And it shouldn't have to be. Like we're not necessarily saying, okay, architects should be going out there to build billion-dollar companies and walk away with $50 million golden parachutes or anything like that. Mm. Um, I don't think that's the expectation. But I think if you can run a small business um, and in the, you know, in the startup game, they somewhat 
sectorally refer to what we all do as lifestyle, lifestyle. businesses. yeah. Which mm. I hate because... Insta mums. Um, <laughs> yeah. I love a lifestyle business. If I can go and... Yeah, you know, it's like saying it, that is a, an insult. So it's like saying, oh, you've got a great work-life balance, you moron. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If I can be around for my kids, but also, yeah. you know, afford to... Yeah buy a house and renovate it and mm. live in, in a comfortable style and maybe one day when coronavirus is finished, take holidays um, to the Venice Biennale and um, and so yeah. on and not have to worry about, um, you know, Being get, you know, <laughs> superannuation and all that sort of stuff, like having all yeah. that stuff in order. Yeah. It's a position that I didn't think we'd be in. So, you know, I, I, I've always for some reason thought it was – um, you know, you hear people call it like a, a gentleman's profession or something where you need to be externally funded by yeah. by a rich benefactor in order to to be so indulgent as to be an architect because really, you know, you, you're not doing anything of worth and therefore you can't possibly be paid anything. Um, mm-hmm. So somebody else is obviously paying the bills in the background. But um, that's not the case. We I, I came from a very, very modest um, upbringing and um, uh, we've just somehow you know, been in a lucky position where we haven't had massive overheads and we've been able to um, keep our show relatively um, small and the as our incomes increased, um, our, our overheads haven't, apart from staff. Um, but, um, you know, and, and it's great. And to be in a position now where we're, like you were saying before, with the, the Venice Biennale, we... Um, we're lucky, you know. We, we actually um, did some sponsorship for them last year uh, before it got cancelled. Um, and uh, <laughs> so, but we'll, we'll be back. We'll, we'll give them some money, money. And um, you know, to, to be in a position with the business where it actually makes more um, than it needs is um, is great. It's just it's it shows me that there's no there really isn't any shame in it uh, in in that um, making a profit and being successful in business. Um, in fact, everybody else in business would consider that to be a mark, the only marker of success, <laughs> whereas architects consider uh, publication or, or um, awards yeah. to be the true markers of success. Can't eat an award. Can't, <laughs> can't, um, can't, well, can't eat money either, but you can buy stuff with it. Did at any point anyone give you – I mean – you can set a strategy in a, or a series of goals or whatever. When you start off your practice, you're really just trying to put food on the table and then at some point you need to figure out what you're aiming for. Like you sit down and you start to work out what your expenses yeah. are and, and those kind of things. Um, did anyone tell you at any point what you should be earning? Like what an architectural practice of your size and scale is spitting out? What kind of profit margins you should be aiming for? There's a benchmarking um, exercise through the uh, AIA where you – Put in your um, director salary, and we've we've done it around the table a few times. I think as part of the smaller practice forum, I don't think it's been in the medium practice forum, but um, there's been a survey of hourly rates and uh, income of directors and income of senior staff, um, and we've always sort of been at the top uh, of those surveys. And I thought very surprisingly, I thought, oh, you know, whatever we're paying ourselves would be um, modest. Um, but, you know, because I've got mates who are lawyers and doctors and they're all on, you know, $300,000 plus, you know, really big incomes. Crikey. And um, we're nothing like that. And uh, But we, we're we in the in the sort of one to 200 category. Um, and then there's so many directors of 
architectural practices who are not, you know, mm. around this around the table were, were people who are making um, less than their staff. Yeah, mm. 60, 70, 80 grand a year. Yeah. And I'm like, mm. well, I don't think mm. that's worth it. I don't think you should be taking all this load for, um, I think, a, a relatively modest income in 2020. Um, and that was, you, you were at the... Um, uh, Architeam forum, and you asked that question of the crowd, Warwick, about um, size of the the business and annual turnover. Um, the conference, yeah, and that was that was really interesting to see that there were very few people in the room who had even one staff member or two staff members, um, and virtually no one over making an annual turnover of four hundred thousand or five hundred thousand and above. Well, uh, look, I mean, Architeam. I don't know if this, I was going to say that Architeam represents a sort of a specific demographic within the industry, but maybe it is the, um, it is actually kind of accurate. So I think 97% of architecture practices in Australia have 20 staff or less. And I think 80% of architecture practices are under, you know, five staff or less. Yeah. So we're talking about a, an industry dominated by um, many small businesses, which mm. is, um, I'm sure it's not unique, but it's a specific arrangement, which does mean that we're talking about a lots of micro businesses. Yeah, very fair. Um, and I do wonder whether or not, you know, more broadly, there's because none of us receive formal business education as part of the architecture degree. Mm. None of us think about things like mergers or acquisitions or um, yeah. rapid growth yep. or taking on know, extra directors. People yeah, buying students do those the, to the practice. That that one uh, astounds me. You know, talk about um, I've got mates who are uh, directors of of various firms, non architectural, and the arrangements that are in place for new directors to come on board and to to borrow money from the other directors to finance that, and then they pay it back through their dividends and things like this. These these arrangements are so sophisticated compared to what most architectural firms are doing. That's happening in bigger firms too. Mm. In, you know, yeah, like yeah. People buying into them, yep. into the partnership. It's just like a law firm or... Like a law firm, yeah, Cox. Yeah, some of those bigger firms, I mean, that's how you that's how you get in. Yeah. yeah. You buy in and then that's how the firm funds itself to, to um, develop. Yeah, and obviously at a, at a larger scale, um, you know, you can make a very large amount of money doing anything as long as there's scale associated with it, even if yeah. it's only... Even if there's only 10 cents profit per product, if you're selling a billion of those products, well, then you're probably okay. Mm. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, groups like Bait Smart, which have survived, I don't even know how many changeovers mm. in their leadership yeah. from 160 years. Yeah, yeah correct. Mm. You know, they are no longer, you know, they, are, they basically like this very mature organization that will mm. potentially exist for forever as long as, you know, um, coronavirus doesn't kill us all um, <laughs> because they've got those systems in place. That's right. Yeah. Mm. Professionally, run, professionally run shows. Should we, um, should we, we wrap, wrap it, it there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought that was going to be a lot harder than it was, guys. I thought you were going to give me some real curly ones. So thanks for, thanks for taking it easy on me. Yeah, I think we did take it easy on you. <laughs> well, <laughs> Kate's going to be next, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Don't expect so the same we're going to ramp it up. <laughs> You're going down. We're probably going to have to cut half that show out. I'm going to. It's kind of like you know, you were the beans. <laughs> we were a lot less sweary this week. Has anybody else noticed that? Yeah. No, you were much more sweary. Me? Oh yeah. Huh? 
loosened right Fuck up me. on the hot seat. Love it. Love it. <laughs> I'm leaving um, all this in. <laughs> oh, by the way, if you're listening to this around young children, be aware there's some swear words. Yeah, here's the language warning at the end of the show. <laughs> you're welcome. That's when you're, that's when you're supposed to put it, aren't you? Mm. Sure. I mean, if you've if you've managed to let your kids sit through this forty minute <laughs> small practice podcast, yeah, you're an, you're an incredible parent. You are, and your kids are really weird. Yeah. <laughs> My kids would have cracked it. Oh. They would have said, "I want to listen yeah. to the soundtrack of Frozen, Sonic the Hedgehog." Frozen, is, yeah, ridiculous. Mm. Well, thanks, folks, for joining us for In Detail, where we take you behind the scenes of creative business. And uh, next week or next episode, might be in a few weeks, we'll be talking to Kate Fitzgerald from Whispering Smith. Um, Whispering Smith, not architecture, just Whispering Smith. Just um, in case. We have to shut down. And, uh, <laughs> and the grill, <laughs> the grill, the flame will be, will be turned to sear for Kate <laughs> as we explore everything. I've got so many questions. So, uh, we were, um, so interesting. The main one being about, I mean, we're going to start with the phone. Not the, phone. the phone. The phone. phone's a good uh, one. name. I, yeah. I have realized my strategic resident. error in um, going last. Mm-hmm. That, you know, we've, <laughs> All the we've good cooked, questions. We've grilled um, Mick rare. We're going to go medium rare, medium. Maybe, yeah. maybe medium with um, Kate. And then I'm just going to get absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the history of your business has been published within an inch of its life. So we can fossick right oh, through that. Yes. You know, Forensic just really. Detail. Yeah. Oh no, that's all obfuscation and distraction techniques. <laughs> There's no real data in there. We should get Erica in instead of Warwick for the yeah. for the grilling. He'll get some yeah. some behind the scenes answers. We'll get her on our side actually on the um, on the grilling team. Very good. So we give those details again to our, uh, our listeners uh, and viewers on the YouTube. On the YouTubes. On the uh, YouTubes. Uh, about our contact details again, Warwick. Yes. You, uh, yes, I would be very happy to. Um, our website, indetail.show, um, where we maintain a um, collection of all of our episodes. I was going to make the suppository joke again. I'm like, no, we can't do that. We can't go back. Um, <laughs> or on your favorite podcasting app, where you can listen to us and you can also watch us and our beautiful faces on YouTube um, and connect with us on Twitter um, where our handle is at in detail show. Um, and our theme music um, is contributed very generously by Kate. Sean Gorman from the band Celery. Uh, gorgeous Sean, I believe. Gorgeous Sean. Unknown as in certain circles. <laughs> yep. All circles. Um Come, uh, come back next episode um, where we drop episode five and we uh, we mix grill cake. Fantastic. Thanks. See ya. Peace out. Bye.